Lord, we come to you uh, for help this evening. We come to you uh, as the God who uh, loves, delights to, to show mercy, uh, a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we ask, Lord God, for grace this evening. Oh, Lord, please. We have said that your life, your word is life-giving, is inerrant, and uh, it is an inspired word. It's also a word that you have promised to use. It is living and active. And so we ask, Lord God, that we would know that this evening. Uh, Lord, keep uh, tiredness from the door. Keep distractions uh, from us. Move in our hearts that we are stirred, that we might leave this place uh, resolved to live evermore for the glory of our Savior and God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our uh, society in Scotland, you know as well as I do, it is rapidly changing, isn't it? Our society in Scotland is, is, is quickly on the move. So we have gone from a point where Scotland was famous. Think about this. Scotland was famous throughout the world for uh, our association and love of the Bible. We were famous as the land of the book. And we've gone from that in no time at all, really, to this place where in Scotland today, what is it? Like truth is viewed as just being subjective and morality is absent. And to all intents and purposes, the good news of the gospel is largely unknown. From the land of the book to a place where the book is never opened. Society has changed rapidly. So the matter that surely uh, emerges, rises up from that, is how should you and I respond to these things? Or I'll phrase it slightly differently. What should our, maybe this sounds cold, but what should our tactics be living as Christians in a society like this? What should our tactics be? As our society moves ever further away from Scripture, is it appropriate for us just to try and survive? Is it? Is it appropriate for you and I just to try and bury our heads in the sand to avoid the crossfire? Or should we ever more in a society like this try and stand out as Christians and try to engage all the more with people and engage uh, with them with the good news in our hands? Well, in many, many ways, that is the subject that Jesus turns to in this, the Sermon on the Mount at this point. If you've got the Bible in front of you, do you see where you are in the Sermon on the Mount? So he, what's behind us? Do you notice Jesus goes from the Beatitudes? That's in the background, isn't it? So he goes from the Beatitudes. So that is what Christians are called to be. And he moves from that into this section. And here it is much more about the influence that we are called to exert in the world, the influence that we are called to exert. And since every one of us can see that there are two affirmations, aren't there? In 1 of verse 13, 1 of verse 14, there's salt and light. Since there's two, you know what we're going to do? We'll follow it and we'll have two sides to the sermon this evening. Okay, so we're looking at salt, we're looking at light. But remember, please, this is Christ dealing with the influence that we, St. Peter's, 
are called to exert on a city like Dundee, Broughty Ferry, and further afield. Okay? So you've got the Bible. You've got it there. Let's deal with the first. So let's think, first of all, about the preserving role of the Christian. That's the first thing we'll think about, the preserving role. And it doesn't take a genius to work out that we're going to look at the first affirmation. Maybe we can put it up on the screen, uh, can we? Verse 13, just in case you don't have a copy of the Bible. What's the first sort of affirmation? Jesus says to his people, you are salt, salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Fine. But what does it mean? We're really familiar with it. What does it mean? You are the salt of the earth. What do you think about? What do you think about when you think about salt? Maybe we don't think about salt all that much. But what, what, what comes to mind when you, when you hear about salt? I, I want to tell you what I think about. Um, I think about South Americans. That's what I think about when I think about uh, salt. Uh, when Catherine and I first moved to London... Uh, whatever that was, 10 years ago, we moved to London. Um, at the start, we had a girl from the congregation living with us. Uh, she was a Brazilian girl, Carolini. Uh, not Caroline, Carolini. Got to get it right. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, though. Like, no matter where we were, if we were eating out in a restaurant or whoever was cooking in the home... First thing Carolini would do every single time, reach for the salt uh, every single time. And like before she has tasted anything, like before she's even smelled the foods, you know, straight foot, straight foot, just tipping it up. On top. She genuinely had food with her salt and not salt with her food. Now, you can work it out why she did this from her perspective from you know from sao paulo you know from her perspective british food was just dull you know it might look nice maybe i've created something for her catherine's created something for her and it might look okay but from her perspective british food you know bland and insipid looking for the salt immediately okay well if you bear that in mind do you not see at least part of what the Lord Jesus Christ is, is saying here in Matthew chapter 5, that part of our role as Christians, it really is to bring flavor. That you and I are to live out our faith in such a zealous way, and we are to so demonstrate the genuine joy that Christ brings to our hearts that people in the world and society, they, they need to be able to look on, and they may they have to be able to realize that though it might look different, life outside of Christ is dull. It is life apart from Jesus that is insipid and bland. We are called to bring flavor as Christians. Truth be told, I do not think that that is our Lord's main point here. See, what have we just considered there? We've considered what salt means to Carolini. <laughs> or we've thought about what salt means to me or what comes to mind for you. If we're actually going to understand Matthew chapter 5, what we need to get to grips with is, of course, what salt meant to the first readers and the first hearers in the first century. So what I need you to appreciate just now, please stick with me, 
What I need you to appreciate is that the primary function of salt in the ancient world was what? It was the preservation of food. It wasn't about taste. The primary function was to preserve food, meat, uh, from decay. I think you can see that if you and I were to go a walk uh, along the high street in first century Nazareth, we just took a nice little stroll along the high street there. We are not going to walk past a window display of big fridge freezers in first century Nazareth. What did the people have to do? Like if they are transporting fish, they're transporting meat. You know as well as I do, they have to pack that, don't they? They have to pack it with, with salt because what would happen otherwise? The meat is going to very, very, in the heat, the, the meat is going to degenerate, isn't it? Very, very quickly, it is going to decay. Now, I, I think because of this, what you and I could do is we could focus on what Jesus is saying, therefore, about our society. What is he saying of our society? What is he saying of the world? If the world needs salt, Jesus is saying, just as we read in Romans chapter 1, in and of itself, the world degenerates. It decays, doesn't it? As you and I are seeing so clearly in Scotland in the 21st century, left to its own devices, and if it turns away from God, a society rots. It perishes so, so quickly apart from God. But instead, we could think about what Jesus is saying of society, but I honestly think it is better that we focus on what Jesus is saying to you, to me, this evening. I wonder if you can hear it. Do you hear what Christ is saying to his church here? Friend, part of the role of the Christian today, it is to work to arrest societal decline. Do you hear that? The part of the work of the Christian is really to seek to preserve in society that which is godly, to preserve that which is good, to battle against this rot. Now, as soon as I say that to you, we have to get practical, don't we? Preserving today as Christians that which is godly, battling against rot, what on earth does that involve? Well, Maybe there's an application here for our online presence, is there? What do you think? You know, we live in an unprecedented age, an age where every single one of us, I suppose we could almost have a public voice through the internet. Maybe there's application here. Maybe if we love these things, maybe if we have social media, maybe if we're online all the time, maybe we do have to work harder to promote that which is good, preserve that which is godly. Yes, speaking with grace, writing with such gentleness, but seeking to use that to battle against the rot. Perhaps that's true, but you know what's more important, don't you, Christian friend? We need to go from the virtual to the actual. And don't you see, if we are salt, what we have to do? Quite honestly, I think we have to be bolder. I think you and I have to speak up more. 
you know, when we hear controversial subjects talked about, when you hear colleagues talk about abortion, when you hear your fellow university students talk, to, talk about gender identity, when you hear people in your family talk about euthanasia, assault, should we not speak up more? Should we not summon up all courage through the Holy Spirit and say something that promotes godliness, preserves goodness? Now, because this is so clearly relevant to Scotland right now, let me make two very, 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 very brief points that come immediately out of this text. If you look down, you, you'll see them. First, I want to say this, that what we're dealing with here really and truly, whether you believe it or not, it is an essential element of Christian living. See, it could be that this evening you think, well, this is fine for some people, <laughs> not for me. You could think, okay, it's all right in Scottish society for me as a Christian today. I'm going to keep my head below the parapet. I will come to church. I'll pray. I'll, I'll, I'll run through these spiritual disciplines, but I, I don't need to speak up. I don't need to speak to, to witness so much to Christ Jesus. Maybe you're thinking like that. I want you to notice what Jesus goes on to say. So if we could look at verse 13, what does Jesus go on to say? Look at it. Isn't it almost a warning? He says, if salt loses its taste, or if it's lost its taste, how shall it be restored? Now look at the next bit. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot. Now, some people, so cheeky here, some people think Jesus has made a mistake because salt can't lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride doesn't lose its saltiness. But I hope you can see that that is not what Jesus is saying here. In the first century world, it was commonplace for salt to become very, very impure quickly. Can you see it? The ancient world, it becomes contaminated with sand, with dirt really quickly and becomes useless. Do you not hear it? Is that not what Jesus Christ is saying to us? The same happens to you and me. If we become so contaminated by the world, if we become so indistinguishable from the world that we are not battling to preserve that which is good, what is the warning? We are seeing here that in God's sight, we are not fit for purpose as Christians. It's the first thing. The second thing I want to say to you, without sounding cheeky, I hope, is that tonight this about salt, it really is a message for you. Because, as I said this morning, I'll say it again, maybe tonight in these things, you're a bit like your minister here. I, I struggle with this. Like, I, I hear that Jesus is saying to his people, speak up, be salt, defend that which is godly. And do you know where I want to look? I want to look to other people. And with, with my limitations, I, I, how do I do that? How do I speak up? How do I speak to people? If they're talking about abortion, you know, coming into that situation, saying something that will speak up for godliness. I, I just want to hold my hands. I, you know, I want to run away. And maybe, Christian friends, you're like that. If so, just focus all of your attention on the affirmation. What does he say? What does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, now this is what we need to know. 
in the original language, the first word is emphatic. So this is not, you are the salt of the earth, people. This is Jesus Christ saying, you are the salt of the earth. And then you think about who he's speaking to. (laughs) This is the Sermon on the Mount. Like he is speaking to this little band of uneducated peasants who are sitting on a hill in the first century. And he is saying to them, you are the salt of the earth. You, not Caesar. You, not this whole wonderful Roman Empire. You, not the Pharisees. You are the salt of the earth. Do you see? Friends, it really is you and I with all of our limitations. It really is us that are called by the living God in faith to go out and take a stand and seek to preserve that which is godly and why for the glory of Jesus' name. You are the salt of the earth. So a second thing though, and the only other thing, secondly, so if we have seen the preserving role of the Christian, the second thing is the proclaiming role of the Christian. No surprises that we move to the second affirmation. Again, can we put it up just in case folk don't have a copy of, of the Bible? What do we have here? So you are the salt of the earth, second of all. You are the light of the world. Can I approach this differently? Allow me to do that, okay? Let me approach it differently. It's a bit cheesy, but what we'll do is alliteration. Okay, so let me lay before you a number of ends about the light of the world. Okay, what does this mean? Follow these, please. First of all, I think we need to consider the need for the light, the need for the light. I I hope you would agree with me, I'm sure that you will agree with me, that it is a a remarkable thing to see how positively our society in Scotland thinks of itself. So the United Kingdom, indeed you could go probably quite, you could extend it out, the Western world, don't you agree, has this massively overblown sense of its own grandeur and and glory. And, and you can see it if you just think about some of the terms that we use or society uses to describe itself. Think about some of the terms. Here's one. We are a progressive society. What an arrogant thing to say in some ways, isn't it? We view ourselves in Scotland as a people who are advancing. We are advancing. We are advanced. Or another term that I loathe in some ways as well is, uh, is the enlightenment. Isn't that something? Everything post that time period. We view ourselves in Scotland as an enlightened people. as one thing. What is so much more important is to consider the divine verdict on Scotland. And so... You think about the implication here. If God's people are called to be lights in the world, what does that mean? What does that say of the world? It says the obvious implication that from God's perspective, the world today is in darkness. Scotland is in darkness. So sad, isn't it? 
And it's sad if you think about the people you love who don't know Christ, the people that you love in your family and your colleagues. What does this mean? God is declaring, the implication is here clearly, that those people are in spiritual blackness. The people living around here just now, they are spiritually stumbling in darkness. They are spiritually blind. It's a terrible, terrible indictment if we are to be lights to the world. There's the need. The second N is the nature of this light. I, I, I do have a vital question for you, for all of you, please. Now think about this if you're a Christian in particular. If, here it goes, if you have been chosen by God since before the foundation of the world and you have been chosen to be a light in the world as you have been, then what on earth does that involve? You know, you've been chosen since before the foundation of the world to be a light. What does that, what do do we do? How are we to be a light in the world? Well, you'll see here that Jesus gives us an answer to it. If we put up verse 16, let's look at it. Have a look yourselves, verse 16. But I urge you to read it with caution. Read it with caution. What does Jesus say? He says, let your light shine, doesn't he? But what does he mention as he goes on? Do Do you see Read it on the screen. What does he mention? Does he, he mentions good works. For to be a light, there's to be good works. Does he say that? Do you see why there's caution necessary here? We could read that and think, okay, being a light in the world is about moral, upright activity and only that. We have to do good works. What does this mean? This means that I've got to help at a soup kitchen. I've got to help at a food bank. I've got to give some of my cash to good causes, and I will be this cracking light in the world as a Christian. What do you think? Yes, yeah, but this is ever so important. This is what um, John Stott says here. Listen carefully to it. He says that often in the Bible, not in isolated incidents, but often light is a metaphor for spoken truth. Did you hear that? Think of Acts chapter 26. Light is the, the proclamation of truth. Isn't that helpful? Because what does it mean for us to obey this, to be a light in the world? Yes, we have to meet needs, don't we, as Christians? Yeah, you and I have to be involved in mercy ministry. But don't you see, it's much, much more. We are to serve people, but we must, Christian friend, speak to people. Isn't that an essential element of being light in a dark world? Yes, we have to work, but we have to witness. We serve other people, but we have to speak of this glorious Savior. The third N is a negative about the light. Um, I do wonder if you've noticed in the text that Jesus does not just give us this exhortation or affirmation. Jesus does not just say to you, you are the light of the world. If you look at verse 14, you'll see that he provides a couple of metaphors, doesn't he? About the visibility of the light. What are the metaphors? Do you see there is, there's a city on a hill. Do you see it's about visibility? A city on a hill, and then there is this lamp that cannot be hidden. 
visibility of the light, I think what Jesus is doing in a way (laughs) is he's taking us back to the very start of the sermon. Can you remember the matter that rises up before us? What was it? What should our tactic be? Living as Christians in Scotland today, I ask you, what should our tactic be? And what is the answer that Jesus Christ gives us tonight? He says to St. Peter's, he says to you, let your light shine in Broughty Ferry. Let your light shine in Dundee and further afield. I think we're, we are face to face here with the reality, quite simply, from a biblical perspective, that we cannot have a private faith. We want to, don't we? But we're face to face with the reality that actually from a biblical perspective, there is no such thing as a private faith. We cannot simply just put our head in the the sand. We're face to face with the reality that actually as Christians today, we need to take a stand. We need to stand up. We need to stand out for Jesus Christ. We as much as we don't want to, we all need to live openly for Jesus. Some of us in the workplace will have been living, working with the same people for years and they don't know that we're Christians. And from here, we need to change that. We need to live openly and we need to engage with people as Christians and engage them with the good news of the gospel. They are perishing. They are rotting in unbelief. And that scares us to death. And so maybe we need a fourth N. And that is the nucleus of the light. Because maybe you are thinking, Andy, no way, man. I cannot do this. There are Christians in my workplace There are non-believers, rather, in my workplace. There are unbelievers in, in my home. I do not have it in me to speak to them. Well, if that's what you're saying, I want you to focus on these short words. Listen, what are the words? Light of the world. You know your Bibles. Come on. Light of the world. Where have we heard it before? Light of the world. Who said it? Jesus says it. Who does Jesus say it off? Himself. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, do you see how that should propel us into society? Do you see how that helps? Let me give you an illustration that I pray helps you. Listen, please, to this, if nothing else. The boys at the front, you've got to get it. Okay, I'll ask you about it. See if you make sense to you. All right, here's the the illustration. Just as the moon can sometimes appear dazzling in the night sky, have we all seen that? You don't see it in London because all those city lights up here. You see it. You've all seen it. The moon at night can appear just blinding in its intensity. Now listen, just as the moon can appear dazzling in the night sky but has no light of itself, it is simply reflecting to the world the light of the sun. 
What is the message? The message is you can shine for Jesus Christ because what is it that you're called to do? There is no light in us. You are simply called to reflect the light of the Son of God to this earth. That is it. You can, Christian friend, with all of your limitations, with all of my limitations, as a church at St. Peter's, we can shine for Jesus Christ because it is God himself who will cause us to shine. And then we end. I promise you, this is the last N. There were a lot of them. There was the need for the light, the nature of the light, a negative of the light, the nucleus of the light. But lastly, there is new life to be had through the light. I have tonight, maybe because it is uh, the evening service, but tonight I have in the main addressed those in the room who are Christians. You can see that, can't you? This is about the influence that Christians are called to exert So we are to preserve that which is godly. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ as a light. I just end by speaking to any in here or online who are yet to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you if you're not a Christian. You've got us wrong, maybe. (laughs) The reason that we rejoice, and we do rejoice, The reason that we're filled with joy is not just because we know God as creator or we know God as sustainer of life. The reason that we are so filled with joy as Christians is because we recognize that God has done something marvelous for the church, something beautiful for the people of God. Now, listen to what it is. At the cross of Christ, as darkness engulfed the land for three hours as light was extinguished at the cross between the hours of six and nine. The Lord Jesus Christ in his death, as he bore in his death the punishment for our sins, what did he do? But he took away his people's blindness There at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ took away all of our darkness. He gave his church light. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, he has reconciled us to God. And if you're not a believer, I ask you tonight, don't you want that? Don't you want the God who shed light into the darkness of creation to even this evening shed light into the darkness of your life and the darkness of your soul. Don't you want to be reconciled to this great God? And it's so simple. All you do is come to Jesus Christ this evening. You run by faith. In fact, you don't even have to run. Tonight, all you need to do is step forward into the light. That is it. Step forward this evening by faith into the life-giving light that is only supplied by the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's bow and let's pray. Lord, what a high calling uh, we have as your people. We are lax, Lord God. We confess that to you. We live in apathy. We focus on 
the things that we enjoy in life, and yet there is this great calling to be salt, to be light for Christ. And so we ask for your help. We can't do that. We can't in and of ourselves. We pray for a work of the Holy Spirit that revives the soul of man, that gives us zeal for the cause of Jesus. Help us to be more concerned for the honor of your name. Push us out to act to defend that which is godly and to tell people who are perishing of Jesus Christ, the one who is the light of the world. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.